it does come back to this simple question of, are you giving people something that they need, which they can't readily get from elsewhere? A business has got a role to play in the world. That is the strategy. And then the business adapts itself to play that role, right? Mm -hmm. Well, the same thing is true of people or the same thing can be true of people. Hey guys, and welcome back to another exciting episode of Catch Ups in My Kitchen with me, Georgia Simmons, host of the podcast. This week, we are joined by Alex Smith, who is a strategy expert, which although sounds really uninspiring, it is the reason behind why anything actually happens. Alex helps brands to get unstuck and make bold moves. So in this episode, Alex and I talk about what strategy is and why it's overlooked and often misinterpreted. Not only do we discuss this in terms of brands and business, but also in terms of personal brands and our own personal strategy. We share how to grow a following authentically and also how to know that you're doing the right thing. Honestly, there is so much more that Alex and I could have dived into in this episode. And so if you want to hear more of Alex's words of wisdom, he actually has a book out and it's available on Amazon and it is called No Bullshit Strategy. I really hope you enjoyed this episode. It's a really great one into why things happen, the strategy behind businesses, personal development, personal brand. Yeah, there's a lot to go into in this episode. I really hope you enjoy it. And as always, have a lovely, lovely rest of your day. Alex, thank you so much for joining me in my kitchen. How are you? Yes, I'm very well. Very nice to be here. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. So to start with, we have do you mind giving me a quick elevator pitch? Who you are, what you do? An elevator pitch. Um, uh, I'm a, essentially I'm a strategy consultant, advisor, writer for consumer brands for the most part. A lot of FMCG, but not only uh, not only FMCG. And yeah, I'm, what I'm really trying to do is make strategy accessible to this kind of next younger generation of founders. Because what you find out there is that. I mean, it's a horrible word, isn't it? Strategy, like everyone says they don't know what it means. And certainly if you look out there at the examples uh, that, uh, that people are setting, they don't know what it means. And I think that really in its pure sense, it only exists in that very high, thin sort of Harvard MBA, big corporate world where people are sort of trained on it and know what it is. But then when you trickle below that all the way down through SM, SMEs and right the way to the bottom... Not only is it misunderstood, I'd say it actually isn't even really done at all. Mm, so, so, so I'm trying to, you know, fix that either through sort of education stuff or obviously the, the tiny little brands or people starting out or obviously with consultancy for your sort of medium sized brands and, and, you know, some of the type of um, FMCG brands that you guys talk about on the podcast. Mm, amazing. It's so true though, because I know just in my experience with doing my own thing, strategy was probably something that I would really not kind of consider when actually it probably is one of the most important things to consider um but we'll go into that in more detail in a minute we have a quick fire round about all things food just to kick things off go go sweet or savory mm, savory pizza or pasta pizza although tragically as a paleo person i don't eat either one anymore oh, that's a shame pizza's the only thing i miss yeah that is a shame go to cuisine Mm, steak 
Good one. Cook in or eat out? Eat out. And what's your favourite delivery? Oh, got to be Nando's. Sorry, sorry. I guess it's an easy, it's an easy one. It's all about where you live, though, and what the options are. Right, it's the only acceptable one uh, around my neck of the woods. That is true. So, my first question is: How does one get to be a brand strategist? How have you got to where you are at the moment? Like, what's your kind of career been like to date to get to where you are now? Mm, Well, I mean, I'd even pick up something in your question, which can help answer that because I would never, although you definitely could use this term, I would never describe myself as a brand strategist. I'd say that that is slightly different. If you think about, you can sort of think about strategy as a sort of cascade or a pyramid, right? Where quite near the top is brand strategy. What is the strategy of the brand as most people understand brand and all the kind of the creative external expression of the business. But one click above that, there is business strategy, which is essentially what does this business do? So if you imagine that that, you first have to understand what the business does, what value it exists to put out there in the world, that then will click down into brand and brand strategy, which is how do we express that? How do we communicate that to the outside world? And then down and down you go to a more and more detailed and tactical level. Mm. So technically when people out, people out there who are brand strategists are entering at that sort of layer two of the, of the cake, uh, whereas I'm working at layer one, but obviously then filtering down into layer two. However, to answer your question, I did begin in a more brand strategist uh, position when I was um, working, I was a strategy director in an agency and, uh, you know, doing all the things that you would imagine they would do there. And ultimately, you know, the job of an agency, and I don't say this to denigrate because it's a very important, very effective job, but ultimately agencies are there to put lipstick on the pig. You know, the Mm -hmm. client comes along and says, here we are. This is this is what we do. How can you spin us and make us look as attractive as possible? And that's ultimately the the agency's job. Uh, if it's a especially if it's a branding agency, which is kind of dressing the pig, so to speak, or an advertising agency, which is sort of doing campaigns on behalf of the pig and building associations with other things that might be more interesting than the pig like celebrities or whatever or activities and stuff so that's you know the whole sort of agency world but when I was doing that what I realized is that every so often you would get a client come along and you know maybe one out of ten or even fewer than that where the actual business itself the thing that they were offering the the pig so to speak was so right and so high value to the market and so compelling that the agency didn't really have to do anything clever or creative or insightful in order to sell it. Ultimately, you know, with businesses like that, you can just go out there and say, here we are, buy it. Mm. Because that sort of thinking has been done at a higher level. It's been done at sort of tier one of the tree. And I was like, "Mm, well, that's interesting. I would kind of rather be sort of helping the nine out of 10 flawed businesses who come to use marketing, advertising, branding, whatever to paper over the cracks. I would be, I would prefer to be helping them actually create a business that is 
fundamentally strategically sound and has got huge leverage in its market from the get-go rather than be just kind of like a yeah like i say um trying to fix it at a lower at a mm. lower level so my ambition then was to sort of move up that one click higher from let's say brand strategy to to business strategy uh and and, and that's sort of what i set out to do so you know i went i sort of had some theories on it and i set up my consultancy and then tried to sell it and you know it's uh, and it's worked out but you know, it's been a it's been an interesting journey because one of the the major distinctions with this is that because people don't really understand strategy business strategy they don't think about it people aren't really shopping for that kind of strategic thinking mm-hmm. at at sort of tier 1 for most businesses they 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 think of themselves in sort of silos. So we've got our sort of brand, we've got our marketing, we've got our product, and they work on each one of these individually. So, you know, they'll go, the, the, everyone will go out to a branding agency, for example, to do, to do branding. But what they don't realize is that there's this higher principle that is tying all of those things together. That's the thing that people don't work on, and that's where business strategy is. So there's a huge amount of education for me to do in order to, make businesses realize that there is a more fundamental question that they aren't asking, which is the basic question of what does this business do? Because if you answer that right, and if the thing the business does is something which people are desperate for, but they can't get elsewhere, then that business is going to find success very easily. But if the thing the business does is something that people are a bit "Eh," about, and which they can get from loads of other places, which is the case for most companies, then you're going to struggle. Yeah, it's a really interesting point. And I think it's really hard to sometimes answer that when you're in the business, hence people need someone like you. Because I, with Greedy Vegan, when you're when you're so in, sometimes it's hard to look out. And I actually had a moment of reflection when I was like, does this business actually work right now? Like, it might work, but like in the current climate, like in the world we're living in at the moment. And sometimes because it's your idea and your baby and you you don't want to let it go and you don't want to have the answer to that question to be no. But actually, for with Greedy Vegan, for example, it wasn't working in the current climate. It was a great idea. It was a great business model. And I think it could work maybe in the future. And it could still work now, but realistically, it wasn't working. So I think yeah it's hard to actually answer that hence yeah people like you are definitely are definitely needed but I also feel like as consumers we buy brands and we buy the aesthetic and the marketing over the physical product and do you do you find that when you're doing a lot of the work that you're doing like people put a lot of focus on like the image because that's what consumers are buying more so than like the actual like nitty-gritty product itself that's a very complicated question because it's very dependent on category and the job that the brand is doing in the world so if we imagine so in some cases the answer is no not at all because if you imagine a business that is solving a very acute pain for somebody a very like i have a problem here's a solution so let's say a sleeping pill for someone who's got insomnia something like that if for whatever reason, you had just cracked that issue in a way that other people hadn't, then 
you can just fundamentally go out there and just find people who've got the problem and they will pay you big money to fix it because their life is miserable, et cetera, et cetera. So there is a very, a very sort of transactional relationship going on there. So some businesses exist in that universe. Then at the other end of the spectrum, you do have businesses that are completely brand driven. And in those cases, that's where the actual product itself, and you could say this about not all, but most FMCG products, I suppose, the product itself is something that people don't really need. It's fundamentally a nice to have. Uh, and in those cases, that, that makes it a bit of a harder sell, you know, so you need to be a bit more subtle and creative in the way that you give value to the person. All of these businesses, they're all doing the same job. They're all trying to give value to a person which they think is high enough value to give money back to the business, right? That's all that any business is ever doing. Mm. But just the way that they give value is going to is going to vary a lot. So yeah, if you take Coca-Cola isn't a good example because obviously there's a lot of history going into why they are Coke, but just to use that as an example, like nobody sort of needs Coke. You know, it's mm. it, it doesn't really fix a problem other than I'm thirsty, etc. But there's a million other drinks that are gonna solve that problem. So they have a much more deep and intuitive value offering to consumers than a sleeping pill that's like just does this job when i need it yeah. so it's very it's very it's very dependent in that way mm. and talking about like fmcg brands and like challenger brands i think what they do in the space is really impressive like they really have for example challenging coca-cola some brands or you've got like dash and you've got perfect ted and you've got some amazing brands doing some really cool things what do you think they're doing really well at the moment? It's probably like a million dollar question, but like <laughs> why, yeah, what makes some brands stand out? So if you exclude all of the outliers who are succeeding for some random non-replicable reason, like they're founded by the son of a billionaire or a celebrity or just ch chuck all of them out because they sort of complicate the waters and you just look at the fundamentals. Uh, it does come back to essentially this, this simple question of, are you giving people something that they need, which they can't readily get from elsewhere? That's the, the fundamental strategic question. Then is the product, so you, you, we're going down the steps, then does the product really powerfully deliver on that value offering. So does it actually do the thing that it's designed to do? Then at a brand level, is it both very clear, but also compelling and exciting and creative and sexy or whatever, the way that they are communicating that to people? So you've got this little sort of stack of questions here. And fundamentally, the ones that work are the ones who have made that stack happen effectively. Now, FMCG is a bit annoying because you've obviously got two markets. You've got the consumer market and you've got the retail market. And so there are ways that some of these brands, and I'm a bit, I'm always a bit skeptical of them. Uh, some brands, they, they do more of a job for the retailer than they do for the consumer. So they kind of get artificial inflation because for some sort of internal reason the retailer needs them, like because they tick an HFSS 
box or that kind that kind of mm-hmm. thing. So again, that also complicates the system. But broadly speaking, you know, when you see the ones that are really flying with the end users with the market, that's the thing that they are that they're mm-hmm. doing well. So I mean, you know, I think I think that the best FMCG brand in the UK of the last ten years, hands down, is probably Grenade uh because they you know they 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 had this all all figured out every every part of the stack was well by luck or judgment i don't know the backstory but it all works right and ultimately they brought something new to people that people were not only happy to pay for but they were happy to pay a lot more for than other products on the shelf And it's very distinctive, very unusual. There aren't really any other brands like it. There isn't really an obvious competitor, direct competitor to Grenade, I would say. The whole thing just works. And then obviously the growth and numbers speak for themselves. Yeah, it's a really good point. On that note, actually, one of my questions was like, plan versus being fluid. So for Mm. example, with Grenade, do we think that this is all part of their big grand scheme and plan when they started? Or is there an element of like being fluid and like going with the flow? And like, I know you did a LinkedIn post recently about like categories, and like a common mistake is like thinking that you are in that category and you cannot move from that category. And it's such a good point because like things change on a regular basis. So you've got to have a plan which moves. So yeah, what's your thoughts on that? Well, rule of thumb, no plan, no startup plan ever works ever. If they work, they only work um, against your initial plans. They only work in a way that the founder didn't intend. I'm not aware of any any really successful businesses, any really successful brands who the the founder had an idea, they executed that idea and put it out in the market. It went and then it went exactly the way they expected it went uh, it would go, and they intended it to go, and then off they went into the sunset. Mm-hmm. Instead, the pattern is always. You have an initial idea, which is probably complete nonsense. You put it out there in the market. And if you're lucky, the market reinterprets it for you. And they say, they, they reject the thing that you thought was important. And then they latch on to something else, which is more interesting to them. And then if you're smart as the founder, you notice that you bin off your initial assumptions and your initial intention. You get on board with what the market wants. You adapt in order to... Uh, to deliver on that more strongly and then whoosh off you go and that's why you often get this sort of shape with these with these businesses of kind of like um a sort of messy initial experimental stage which might last one year three years i mean for some brands 20 years it's Mm -hmm. you don't know uh but where they get traction but they don't really understand why they've got traction and then when it all clicks and the the founder gets on board with what the consumer, with what the market already knows, and then brings everything together in that way, that's when they boom. You see this pattern all the time. There you go. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I, I'm a massive one on that. I think I have a rough plan in my head, but I'm, I'm really not a let me just sit down and write my next five-year plan. Like, absolutely <laughs> not. I just can't even think that far in advance. Like... Because things, when you're early stages and things, things change so much and you've got to be so receptive. And that's the same with brand. And I think, yeah. But then I do get when it clicks, you've got to then realize why and then hone in on that and then keep churning it out. So that does make a lot of sense. 
And another thing I want to talk about is being authentic and mm. authenticity, because I know we've had this conversation before about, I mean, again, I use my personal experience where I started Greedy Vegan and I was like wanting to compete with like Mindful Chef and like HelloFresh. And I was like, here I am, like, let's start here. And actually it was, I mean, it was early days, so it's hard to compare, but like, it wasn't until I started being like, actually, it's a one woman show, it's run out of my flat, here I am, this is the behind the scenes, that actually I then got more traction. Mm. So I think it's important when you start something to probably like remember where you're starting from and like not try and keep playing catch up with yourself and being a bit more, yeah, open and authentic. So I'm going to argue both against and for your point here. Mm -hmm. And again, as always, I suppose it's contextual. So you can think about which of these is sort of more, more relevant to you or more relevant or more relevant to, to your audience. So where I agree is that the, the most unique thing you have as a founder is ultimately yourself. So everybody is fundamentally weird in some respect. Mm -hmm. And what we're trying to do with any brand is to create a degree of differentiation, not differentiation for the sake of it, but sort of valuable differentiation. And it can be very hard to do that in a kind of galaxy brain, strategic, planned way, like we were saying. So one of the easiest kind of shortcuts and hacks to differentiation is to allow the business to reflect yourself very very strongly because you are differentiated as an individual so therefore if you make it reflect yourself that's going to you're sort of naturally going to get that differentiation for me i do this a lot very consciously very strongly with my business however bearing in mind my business is effectively myself so it's more relevant for me than it would be if i had a chocolate bar brand or something like that you know where I am not the brand so you need to be clear on how wedded are you as the founder how knitted to the brand are you in some cases the answer is a lot in some cases the answer is not at all so the more you are knitted into the brand the more authenticity is valuable but then when you move across that spectrum to where you aren't knitted into the brand at all it can actually be the opposite, it can actually be harmful. I think that what a huge mistake that a lot of founders, especially in FMCG make, is that they, they, they build businesses to reflect their preferences and the way that they want the world to be and the way that they think that consu consumers should be eating. And there's a kind of unspoken should behind a lot of these brands like it shouldn't be like this it should be like this and then they sort of think that they can kind of force that on the market because that's sort of like because because that because they think that they would love that and then the market doesn't care i mean there'll be a small rump of people who are like the founder who do care but but the wider market doesn't care and ultimately, unless you want to have a little niche brand that's appealing to very like-minded people, which is totally fine if you can make that work profitably, eventually you're going to have to actually sacrifice your your authenticity, if you like, in order to meet the consumers halfway. Like, you know, there's nothing wrong with saying, you know, I want to improve people's gut health or whatever you're talking about. That's fine. But you've got to find a way to do that that meets the punter halfway and a lot of founders don't do that they're too wedded to like you know to their way 
and what they think it should be. Mm. So you need to like weave in a little bit of inauthenticity. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is a sort of big over the top example, but if you think about Starbucks and how Starbucks became this world conquering titan, you know, when, when Starbucks was formed, you know, they, there was already loads of like good Italian style coffee shops. They were all over the place but none of them became Starbucks. So what did Starbucks do that worked? And the answer is basically they watered it down. They dumbed it down. They made something that had the kind of vibe of real coffee, but was actually in some respects compromised in order to meet the consumers halfway. So then people who wouldn't actually really like sort of proper old school Italian coffee, they could go to Starbucks and feel like they were doing that. But, um, uh, but ultimately what they were having was a kind of a, a, a fake version. At least that's what the the, the coffee snobs would say, mm. right? So injecting that bit of fakery was strategically essential for them. And I know that there's a very negative framing to describe it as fakery. So the positive spin on it is simply to respect the consumer. Mm-hmm. That's the positive spin on the same thing, but ultimately it's all it it all adds up to just you know putting some of your principles aside yeah yeah it's it's all really interesting, and I think one thing that I've been thinking a lot about like whilst I was planning for this episode is about how much thought goes into a business and a brand, and you know we're having a conversation now about like different things that brands need to think about and and then it kind of got me thinking about like the personal brand side. Mm. So we put all this effort, all this work, all this time, all this, you know, pen to paper about how do we want this brand to come across? How do we want it to look, feel, what vibe do we want to give off? But then do we, do we give that same attention to like a personal brand? And I think especially in kind of your case where you are your brand and like you're on your own and kind of similar to me now, like we are the brand as well so I think maybe a lot of what we think what we're talking about for for consumer brands should maybe be reflected onto personal brands what's your kind of thought process on that yeah something I think about a lot too now there is a just you know there's the kind of classic personal branding world which I think people sort of understand and people are a bit kind of like snarky about or whatever and I kind of get that because there is this feeling that it's just kind of like somehow fake but I think there's a deeper there's a deeper equation here which is a business has got a role to play in the world that is the strategy and then the business adapts itself to play that role right mm-hmm. well the same thing is true of people or the same thing can be true of people whereby if they understand what they are here to do their purpose if you like they can then adapt their whole life in that direction. That really is how I would think about personal brand because if a person is, if a person or a business, these two things are completely parallel. If a person or a business is completely purposeless, what they will do is they won't just, you know, disappear in a puff of smoke. They will just click into the generic behaviors, which are sort of laid out like a template for people to follow if they've got nothing better to do. So we can all imagine, and most of us do it to some degree, for sure. We can all imagine what the kind of the sort of brainless, 
autopilot kind of zombie existence that a person can can slip into is like and that is the path of least resistance that's where you're just like you know okay i don't have any kind of bigger organizing principle for my life i don't have any strategy for my life so i'm just going to kind of go with the flow and you'll be funneled into a essentially kind of cookie cutter existence mm. which um which is you know it's 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 a bigger thing than just having a nine-to-five job i'm not remotely saying that like if you have a nine-to-five job you're in the cookie cutter existence because what you do for your work is just one part of the equation you could be a you could be a living saint with a with a nine-to-five mm. job so the the specifics don't really matter the point is just this are you living a life which is directed to something that you have chosen and which you control and are you then organizing the pieces of your life in order to pursue that mm. and to kind of rise in that direction or are you just rudderless and letting it all go and just being kind of buffeted by by the waves of circumstance right mm-hmm. that th- those those are those are your two options uh and so the 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 directed life is ultimately how i would see personal branding because it's the same thing like you are organizing yourself in a way which is unique to you and that is effective and and which is purposeful which is pointed in a particular way and that's all that branding really is yeah at the end of the day and so then people are so then people are gonna people are gonna see that or not I mean it might you know what you're doing it doesn't necessarily have to have an outward focus you know if you're you know if your life is all about um, I don't know, caring for your houseplants or something. No, you know, nobody needs to see that. No. Uh, so it's not all about broadcast and presentation, but it does matter. I think if you are being intentional mm. about no, your definitely. life or not. I also think personal branding doesn't even have to be necessarily to do with your job. It could just be the way you want people to perceive you as a person mm-hmm. and the way that you want to come across. And where you want to go personally in life. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be definitely. necessarily business focused. No, that's just the most sort of obvious thing, but isn't it? But yeah, mm. no, for sure. And I want to talk about something that you wrote on LinkedIn recently, in which I was like, this is so true. And it was a post which said like, hard work pays off is basically just bullshit. That saying that hard work pays off. And I was like, I mean, you kind of explained what you meant by that. I was like, that's so true. So do you mind kind of explaining a bit more for those who might not have read it? Um, what you kind of said in that post and what you mean by that. Yeah, so this is super connected to the whole personal branding or purpose or whatever thing, which is that people think, you know, we're told that like, okay, if you want something and then you work hard enough at it, you're going to get it. And so I think this is really bad advice because what this drives a lot of people to do is to slave away and be miserable over things where no matter how hard they work, they are never ever going to achieve it because if you find something hard work if you find something difficult you cannot succeed at that thing i don't care what it is now people say what about elon musk who never ever leaves the office so i've heard or what about arnold schwarzenegger who was like working out three times a day to become bodybuilding champion and wasn't that hard work and the answer is no they are just pursuing what for them is the path of least resistance. So Elon Musk is probably in the office all the time because he hates being at home. 
because he finds it to be an unpleasant experience. If you find being in the office unpleasant and find being at home unpleasant, that's your leisure, but that's his leisure. He's just lucky enough that his leisure is something that he can earn a lot of money from. And unfortunately, no one pays you to watch Netflix. But, you know, if for somebody who hates watching Netflix, if they saw you sitting down for three hours every night watching it, they'd say, my goodness, you, you work so hard at watching Netflix, don't you? And you're like, oh, no. No, yeah, but that's how it is for Arnold when he's in the gym mm -hmm. or whatever. So the reason these people are able to achieve these things is because they are doing something which other people interpret as hard work, but for them is the easy thing for, to do. For mm -hmm. them is as much leisure as watching Netflix or eating a bowl of ice cream or whatever it might be. So, uh, so that's why you've got to think that if you're finding something difficult, if you aren't finding something to be super enjoyable, it doesn't mean that you aren't going to, you know, sweat over it or put a lot of energy into it. That's not work. Work, work. You know, I'm, I'm purely talking about the the kind of like the grind and effort, not the time or the or the energy. You've got to think that there'll be someone else out there for whom this is like watching Netflix. Mm. How the hell are you ever going to top that? Yeah, you know, you're not. So. The only way that you're ever going to get any outsized gains, the only way that any of these aspirational figures get outsized gains is because they found a form of monetizable leisure. Yeah. And, uh, and so I just hate the thought of all those people out there who are like doing some sort of hustle task related to their job and they're like spending hours a day on it and they're like, oh, well, this is... This is miserable, but damn it, I need to do it if I'm going to win. Mm. Because I, I, I literally think it's wasted energy. You know, there are things which a person in my industry should do best practice wise, which I just do not do at all because I don't like it. So which then encourages me to adapt my offering and to adapt what I do to basically remove that from the picture, which has the side benefit of actually differentiating what I do and making my style more unique. Uh, so it's not just about, you know, leveraging your time most effectively. It's also quite a good strategic differentiation ploy as well. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're a, um, well, what would be an example? If you're a, uh, if you're a podcaster and, you know, you, uh, and you love recording the podcasts, but you really, but you really can't stand. I don't know. The ugh, to be honest, a stupid example because I don't know enough about what a podcaster does <laughs> and what they do. But you take my you take my point that you can yeah. like. There are some things in there which you think are essential, which you think you've got to hustle at. But if you can't, if you hate them, you've either got to cut it out, or of course, outsource it to someone else. Yeah, no, completely. It's so true, and I think ultimately. Something, for something to succeed, it's got to take time and energy to succeed. But ultimately, that time and energy doesn't have to be hard work. Exactly. Because you've got, if it, if you enjoy it, you're going to spend more time and energy on it and then it's going to, it's going to do well. Yeah. So that's just, yeah, so, so true. And I, I keep reflecting on Greedy Vegan because it's an example of that kind of, failed is the wrong word, but like I parked because of so many reasons that we're talking about because there probably wasn't the right strategy because of all these different things. And... I found it really, 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 really hard work. And I spent <laughs> so much time and energy on it. And actually, actually, this is a really good example. So Greedy Vegan spent lots of time and energy, but really hard work. Podcast spent equally, actually probably less 
time and energy on it, but I absolutely loved it. I was doing it in all my free time. And which one has ultimately done better? The podcast. And that's just go, eh? an example. So that makes a lot of sense. And I was such a big proponent of kind of that, that, you know, we're spending all this time doing work, but like the whole of your life, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, none of this stuff matters. It's all just a bit of fun. It's all just a game, mm. you know? So you might as well, you might as well, you know, find, find that way to enjoy it. And ultimately, you know, I think that the, any, any of these famous, successful people, you know, like what do they, what do they have in common? They, they, they look like they're not taking it very seriously. You know, they, they, they look, they look like they're, they look like they're just sort of messing around, really. Mm. I mean, I know that like Elon Musk is a divisive figure these days, but we can't say that he isn't very successful. And everyone was then slamming him for turning Twitter into X, effectively just because he felt like it, as far as as, as as far as we could tell. And everyone's yeah. like, oh, this is so stupid, da-da-da. And I looked at that, and I was like, hell yes, love that. Because he just doesn't give a shit. He's just yeah. doing what he wants to do. And, yeah. that's what, and that's why he's so incredibly successful and it's not about whether it was the strategically right or wrong thing to change twitter into x ultimately like that is just a reflection of how he's run his whole career and who are we to argue with the results of that yeah exactly and he's just having fun with it and enjoying Mm. the process and messing around a bit which yeah and he's just doing it with much on a much bigger scale than we are yeah completely agree um so I now want to touch on your LinkedIn journey because I think this can also be kind of reflected on other areas of growing mm-hmm. certain things. So you grew your LinkedIn following dramatically, quite quickly, but actually the whole process probably took a long, t- long time, but the trigger moment made a massive difference to your kind of following. Can you explain a bit about what happened? Because I think that we're in a world now where everyone's trying to grow certain pages certain mm. social channels and actually your experience is something that maybe people could take a lot from so the headline is that um for most of my career doing what i do now i wasn't really using i, I, own, I wasn't doing any sort of social media at all i was only doing uh, my newsletter then i sort of realized this was a bit stupid because the newsletter itself is sort of mid funnel. There was no top of funnel. How would people even enter the newsletter? They, you've got to do some sort of top of funnel activity, whether that's advertising or whatever. And so, obviously, I did social media was the most logical thing. So, even though I was like, you know, I didn't want to be one of those LinkedIn people, mm. I was like, who, you know, uh, who do I think I am? You know, you gotta you gotta play the game. Mm-hmm. So I started doing it in about January, February this year. So I was putting out a post every single day, and you know, it was like. At high engagement for my follower numbers, which were effectively, you know, zero or, you know, like your, your connections, whatever. But, you know, it was obviously, you know, not getting a lot of traction, uh, but I plodded along for six months and then essentially overnight it went pretty much from like 1000 followers to 20,000 and now 30,000. So this is all in the course of like the last month or so. So there was a massive inflection point. And, and obviously I've been trying to think, well, what, what happened then? Now the, the, the worrying possibility is that the algorithm gods just smile on you and it's all effectively pretty random. There was definitely a bit of that, which is obviously very annoying because I wouldn't, I'm not going to say that it's, I think, a completely replicable thing, but there, there were some big, big changes that I made over that time. Like you've, 
you've probably seen those graphs that people put out there to sort of encourage you to keep going where it's very very flat at the beginning and it, you say this is pointless and then suddenly boom it goes and the and the moral of the story is you know consistency pays off or compounding results blah 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 i kind of disagree with those graphs because that implies that if you just keep on showing up eventually it's going to work but that's not true you got to you got to be keep on showing up with a constantly learning and iterating and improving mindset so i wasn't just posting for 6 months and then suddenly it worked i was posting and analyzing for mm. 6 months strategy and it goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning about like you know people think that brand strategy is number one but actually it's like business purpose is number one and it's the same with everything that sometimes you think I've got to post on TikTok every single day and I'm going to get there I've got to post on Instagram every single day LinkedIn all of those things every single day and I was very much that person posting like I had to have a, I'd have a checklist in the morning <laughs> it'd be like Instagram TikTok da, 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 to like tick 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 to say I've done it and actually what's the purpose of that like why have you posted that what are you trying to achieve from that? What are you communicating with that? And back to the business part, why have you brought this product to market? Why have you started this business? Like, what is the purpose? And this gets so lost in the everyday that, and then people wonder why it's not working. And it's like, well, if you go back to basics and realize, you know, why do I need to tell people about LinkedIn? Or why do I need to tell people about hard work doesn't actually pay off necessarily? Or why do I need to, you know? And once you've kind of got that down, then, what you're communicating and putting out there will actually kind of resonate a lot more with the audience so I guess it all kind of does a full circle and I guess your job what you're doing is kind of reminding businesses and people about their why initially and like why they're doing what they're doing I guess that's kind of yeah it is a full full circle yeah and I some uh, uh a sort of mentor of mine he said something like uh all consultants or coaches or people who give advice for a living all they're ever really or therapists or whatever all they're ever really doing is giving advice to themselves yeah and they and they're only they're only asking the questions that they themselves want answered and so you know they're only like therapizing themselves and working out their own stuff and they don't they don't necessarily realize that they're doing that but that's what they're doing so whatever it is that you are, your sort of subject of expertise is actually your own sort of area of struggle mm. in a sense. Yeah, that's a good point. And so, and obviously, you know, that could, your then journey on that, if you're sort of like monetizing it, broadcasting it, applying it to other people, you're just, you're, you're, you're helping them and you're helping yourself at the same time. So I have sort of started to see how true that is in, uh, uh, in, in, in my case mm, no for sure so I want to finish off with two questions and the first one being what would you say your top brands are at the moment two or three top brands that are doing things <coughs> that you think are great or are working it's a tough one because the number of brands that I really admire strategically you know, the number of truly tr strategically great brands are very, very small. And they're the ones that people always talk about, you know, Patagonia, Apple, Tesla, like whatever, like they're all the cliches. So you can't answer that question without putting out a cliche because by definition, if someone does 
does it right, then they'll instantly become a cliche. That's the privilege of, of, uh, of doing it right. But one brand that I really, it's a weird one that I just really am into right now, I really love is Ford, the car manufacturer, mm. because they are, they are a recent sort of strategic convert where, long story short, obviously we all recognize Ford as being the sort of the generic car brand that everyone kind of like, you know, Ford Fiesta, Ford Focus, it's just the car, kind of boring. What they did recently is they cut, they stopped making every single car, normal car on their range that wasn't a commercial vehicle or a sort of four by four off-roader. So, or, or like a pickup truck. So basically all they make now is pickup trucks, four by fours and commercial vehicles. So they've done this massive contraction of, um, uh, of focus like no more Fiesta, no more Focus, no more any cars like that whatsoever. They're only sort of making, I guess you could kind of call it macho vehicles. Not that they would ever put it like that, but effectively mm-hmm. that's the deal. And with this Focus, you can see that now with their products, because they're putting all their energy into one place, they're having fun with it. And so they're starting to make these just bonkers vehicles. And we think of that as being one of those boring car brands, the most generic car brands. And now... A lot of this is happening in the States, not here. But for example, they've they've got this uh, update of the Ford Bronco, which you can't buy in the UK. But it, it's it's the most ridiculously out there off-roader that, that, that you could ever imagine. Mm. And so Ford has effectively somehow managed to go from being the most boring car brand in the world to one of the coolest car brands in the world. And I think that's like just amazing leap to make that you would have never thought that they could do and it's all about just like sacrificing so much stuff giving up on millions and millions of dollars of uh, of the market and just saying no no no, we're just going to do this now and we are going to do it the most hard and the most crazy out of anyone and then you're starting to see it and people are starting to be like shit like ford is a cool brand yeah but you've got to be so brave to do that and I guess especially at a corporate level yeah and I guess it's another word which is really probably quite useful to use in terms of strategy being brave and bold with it like sticking with your guns and like you know that's you've got Ford had a reputation of being a bit meh yeah (laughs) and now they're like cool but to do that they've had to be really bold and brave and just stick to it and believe in it and that's a good example that is a really good example yeah, yeah, they're, yeah, they're crazy. And I'll just give you one little food and drink one, but it's much more personal, nothing to do with sort of strategy or anything. But like hunter and gatherer, because I'm paleo, obviously that was like a godsend to me. So yes. I just bloody love those products. Um, okay, and the final question I have is, what would your last meal be? So obviously this podcast generally is about food, so we're finishing it off with food again. So start a main course dessert. What would your last meal be? Okay, so I'll have pizza for a starter because it's my last meal. I can put all of my paleo principles aside. And like yeah. I say, that's the only food that I'm missing. Okay. So let's bring it in. Pizza yeah. starter. What's on the pizza? I need the details. <sighs> Classic margarita. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> but you know, like sort of like a few different cheeses. Mm-hmm. You know, it's all about the cheese. Got to have the stringy, yeah. the stringiness. And I like a thin pizza. I don't I don't like a deep dish. No. I don't like a pizza pie. I like a thin pizza. Yeah. Then um, probably brisket, mm-hmm. slow smoked brisket by someone who really knows what they're doing yeah. for the main course. 
that would be that would be great i've been trying to master it myself still i've never i've never done one that's like really good so i appreciate the skill there yeah. it's very hard very hard to do uh and then pudding it's just absolutely i mean you'd be mad to say anything other than ice cream i mean like what kind what kind of what kind of insane person <laughs> Would pick any other dessert other other than ice cream yeah oh i mean i am a ba- massive ice cream fan being vegan i really appreciate a good plant-based ice cream vegan i mean i love booja booja yeah so good so good yeah no i mean although i'm not vegan i have a lot of booja booja yeah because i mean i just sort of view it as kind of more clean yeah anyway yeah if it tastes uh, good and it's no it there's no dairy in it. I mean, that's a win-win. Sure. I mean, actually, yeah, it's funny with the, the general whole sort of clean ingredients and stuff. Ice cream, like there are some amazing ice creams with super clean ingredients, mm. including, and not just vegan, but, you know, like two or three ingredients in the whole ice cream, even if that's cream and sugar, whatever. And I just think all the ice cream brands out there that have got an ingredients list as long as your arm, what's the point? What's the point? Because it's amazing without it. So yeah. I don't quite see what the game there is i don't yeah. see what the advantage is i agree I agree let's get the ice let's get the cream or plant-based cream or coconut yeah and the flavor and we're done like oh. let's just not overcomplicate. okay good one and what's your what, what's your favorite flavor ice cream again? oh um i like a cheap raspberry ripple a cheap. Go, go going against <laughs> going against the uh the the, the clean stuff but yeah. like uh Ice cream, a bit like pizza, I think, is one of those things where, like, a cheap one can kind of be as good as an expensive one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Keep yeah. it simple. Classic raspberry ripple. Also hard to find these days. Yeah. Not a lot of places serve raspberry, raspberry yeah, ripple. Yeah, that's a good that's, point. That, that's, that's the best flavor. Alex, thank you so much for coming <laughs> on. It's been really great to have the kind of different angle of this episode because branding strategy is all really important for everyone, whether you're starting a brand, whether you're working in a company, whether you're just thinking about yourself personally as we've covered all of those things I think it's really important to kind of remember why we're here personally or why the brand is here and I think yeah it's been really refreshing and great to have that conversation so thanks so much for joining me that was a lot of fun thank you thank you guys so much for listening we are so so excited that the podcast is going from strength to strength and every week we aim to bring you new guests which will help you and bring you some words of wisdom in becoming a better healthier and happier version of yourself so in return please keep supporting the podcast and if you haven't already click the follow or subscribe button check us out on instagram and tiktok any feedback is always highly highly appreciated so thank you so much again and see you next week Thank you.